Just gotta ask, um, does all of this stuff just confuse the hell out of you, personally? <laughs> um, sometimes, yes. Um, but being entrenched in it has also made me just really nerd out on it. So, <laughs> Well, I'm simultaneously glad I'm not alone in my confusion and that I have the best nerd for the job here to help me understand it all better. <laughs> <laughs> Hey there, Pulse Check listeners. This is Jeremy Siegel, continuing our special series on the coronavirus pandemic. And you might have guessed it already. Today, we are talking about the latest on vaccines and boosters with Lauren Gardner, because there's now a lot of new news on that front. We're going to be talking about who is eligible after the FDA's new decision, whether you can mix and match your doses, whether your kids can get them, all of it. Here's our conversation. Um, so big news for vaccine boosters just came out yesterday for people who received Moderna and Johnson and Johnson and Pfizer. I mean, what's the latest? <laughs> All right. Well, hold on to your hats because <laughs> I'm about to say a lot of words. <laughs> Let's hear it. <laughs> so first and foremost, Moderna and J&J. So uh, FDA yesterday updated its emergency use authorizations for both of those vaccines. Um, So for Moderna, it's going to be the same groups of people who were already authorized to get Pfizer boosters if Pfizer was the shot that they initially got. So that means you're 65 and older or you're 18 to 64 and you either are at high risk of COVID-19, so you have some kind of underlying condition that, that could make you more vulnerable, or you have a job or you're a living situation that um, that means you might be exposed to more virus than your average person. So frontline healthcare workers, teachers, et cetera. Mm-hmm. Uh, when it comes to J&J, the booster is more widely approved or authorized, I should say. Um, so anyone who got J&J, so 18 and older, um, who got the single dose vaccine, you are eligible for a booster once you're two months out from that first shot. And then we get to the really interesting part of this whole decision, which is you can mix and match your boosters. And this has been like this long standing question mark as to whether or not people could, you know, say we got J&J earlier in the year. Can we get one of the mRNA vaccines that new, you know, not really new, but new to the market technology for vaccines that has had really high efficacy uh, in protecting people against COVID, as opposed to just getting the same shot made by the same manufacturer any time you need to get a vaccine against COVID. So that's the big news. And people are going to be really confused. (laughs) Yeah. So let me see if I do have it all straight. Um, Yes. If you have Moderna or Pfizer and you're 65 and older, you can get a booster shot. Mm -hmm. Um, And if you got one of those and you're over 18 um, and uh, have like a pre-existing condition or if you're working in an environment where you might be more exposed to COVID, you can get a booster shot. And then if you got J&J, Basically, no matter what, if you're over 18, you can get a booster shot. And then for all of these people, you're able to mix and match the type of vaccine you're getting for your booster. 
Exactly. All right. I feel feel good. I got it all. Um, <laughs> so uh, this this is news out of the FDA yesterday on Wednesday. Does that mean like people who are newly eligible can now start making appointments to get these shots? Not quite yet. So what's happening today is the CDC's independent vaccine advisory panel. They're meeting to discuss what FDA just authorized. And then they're going to make their recommendations for how the vaccine should be administered. So if they have any sorts of edits to um, an administrative uh, uh, approach, you could say, um, that's where you're going to hear it. And then once they vote on their recommendations, CDC Director Rochelle Walensky will make the final call. Usually she accepts the committee's recommendations, but as we've seen throughout the pandemic, sometimes they don't totally agree with what their panels came up with and they make some tweaks on their own. So, um, but by the end of the week, entirely possible that anyone who qualifies under all of those various definitions will be able to go out to CVS or wherever to go get their shots. I'm going to ask you the question that's probably on a lot of people's minds right now. Um, Is there any strategy for mixing and matching? Like, is one better than another to get for your second dose, depending on what you got before? So FDA made this decision based on really preliminary data from a National Institutes of Health study um, that's that was conducted on mix and match. And they they looked at nine different combinations of mix and match. So, you know, Moderna, J&J, Pfizer, you get that whole diagram going and see what works best. Um, you know, it's a, it was a small study, but those early results showed that um, the messenger RNA vaccines, so Moderna and Pfizer, um, that overall they performed the best and boosting with them seems to be the best in terms of boosting your neutralizing antibodies. So that's what vaccine makers have been relying on when they've been talking about how effective their shots are at um, producing an antibody response to covid One other important thing to note on the Moderna booster is that it was authorized at what's essentially a half dose of the original shot. So if you got the initial series, two shot series of Moderna, you got 100 micrograms each shot of the solution. The booster is just going to be 50. Hmm. But even with mix and match, if you didn't get Moderna from from the beginning, you're still only going to get that half dose. And that wasn't studied in the NIH study. So it it creates a question of how effective will that booster be if you didn't originally get the Moderna series. Last time you and I talked, we talked about like some of the criticisms that there are over boosters in the first place and how there are medical experts who say they might not be necessary. Is that argument still out there and and what's behind it? Yeah, uh, that's definitely still out there. And it's it's mostly because the, the level of data just isn't quite where these scientists would normally in a normal situation expect to see um, when it comes to making a decision like this. They still haven't determined what I hinted at earlier, this this threshold at which, you know, if your immune response falls below a certain level, then maybe you need a booster again. Uh, in, In the medical community, they call it a correlative protection. They don't know what that is yet with these vaccines. So that's made it more difficult to figure out 
okay, this is how we should boost people. This is when we should. And, and like I've said before, when we've spoken, it, you know, this is science in real time that we're living through. So it's not entirely surprising that there's still some of these outstanding questions there. The, the main thing has been looking at hospitalization and death rates among people who are fully vaccinated and trying to, you know, follow that curve and then get out ahead of it as, as quickly as possible. There's been discussion among scientists about what the data shows for people who are older, you know, whether it's 65 and older or maybe that threshold goes down to 50 or so, seeing more cases of hospitalizations and severe illness among those people who are fully vaccinated. And that's that's what's been driving part of the booster discussion, because there's generally consensus that, yes, older people should get boosted right now. Where there's not as much data is on whether everyone else needs to. Um, there's been a lot of debate over that category of people we talked about where your occupational setting might put you at risk for developing disease. Sure, if you're a healthcare worker, you may be in an environment where you're dealing with people who are infected with COVID-19. But if you're in proper personal protective equipment, is your risk that elevated and it becomes this really complicated debate to which there's really no neat answer. Um, and from the Biden administration's perspective, they're saying, look, we don't want to get in a situation where cases astronomically explode again. So let's get out ahead of it. Also, there's a benefit to boosting people with respect to preventing any infection at all, because as we've seen with folks who have had mild COVID infections, some go on to develop what we're calling long COVID, where they have these persistent symptoms that just don't go away or take a very long time to go away. Um, so that's also been part of their argument for being proactive on boosters. So it's become this scientific and semantic debate about whether are we going for zero infection here or are we sticking to trying to prevent severe disease, hospitalization and death? Let's also talk about vaccines and kids. Uh, the White House is now officially launching a vaccination campaign for child vaccinations. They're not yet officially approved for kids or for younger kids, but the administration has a new plan out in anticipation of approval. What is the latest there? Yeah, so the White House on Wednesday came forward with their plan to get kids ages 5 to 11 vaccinated with the Pfizer vaccine against COVID as soon as it's authorized and recommended for use by the FDA and the CDC. That's expected to happen by early November. But the, the administration here was trying to get across the message that you know, we're ready, we're planning for this, we've been talking to the states and to localities and, you know, any level of government that's going to be in charge of helping to distribute these vaccines, you know, we're, we're prepared, we're ready, ready to go. Um, that's, of course, elicited some criticism from many of the same folks who thought that the White House jumped the gun when they promised boosters for everyone uh, in the late summer. But um, they, they were very careful here to, to make sure that they were only talking about this when slash if the vaccines are approved for children. Based on what's been going on, that's definitely expected, but it's not technically a foregone conclusion. 
FDA still needs to have its independent advisors meet and discuss the data, discuss the pros and cons, whether or not there should be any limitations. And then uh, CDC's own independent advisors will do the same thing. Um, But the White House wants everyone to know that they are talking to pediatricians offices, they're talking to pharmacies, um, community health centers, uh, even schools, if uh, vaccination clinics might work best in some communities, uh, trying to talk to all of those folks about how this process is going to go, what the logistics are going to look like, and prepare them with some uh, talking points for reaching out to parents who have questions about whether these shots are safe and effective for their children. Got it. Um, I mean, what do we know at this point about the safety and efficacy for kids? So so in terms of what we know so far, um, Pfizer and BioNTech submitted some data to the FDA last month on the safety and efficacy of their shot in that age group. And they said that it's safe and it also provoked a strong antibody response in kids. So um, the antibody levels that were tested after kids who got the actual vaccine in the in the study group showed a, showed a decent response. And it was similar to that that was seen in teenagers and younger adults that were studied with the higher dose that Pfizer Pfizer gives to, to those kids. Um, so the other thing to note here with the vaccines for kids under 12 is that it is one third the amount of vaccine that's given to teens and adults. So um, part of the calculus of that is that children aren't little adults, as uh, pediatric experts like to say. So uh, all of the vaccine companies, but specifically Pfizer in this case, um, wanted to test a lesser amount to see if that would provoke the same kind of immune response in kids that they see uh, compared to older people, while also limiting the chances for bad side effects to crop up. All right, that's our show for this week. Big thanks to FDA reporter Lauren Gardner from Politico's health team for joining me. If you want to follow more of her reporting and the rest of the reporting from our health team, be sure to sign up for the Politico Pulse newsletter, which comes to your inbox every weekday morning. You can find that in our episode show notes or at politico.com slash newsletters. Also, be sure to subscribe to this podcast, Pulse Check, If you haven't yet, and if you have a second, leave us a rating and review. That'll help new people find the show. Pulse Check's senior editor is Raghu Manavalan. Our senior producer is Jenny Ament, and our executive producer is Irene Noguchi. Thanks so much for listening, and we'll see you soon.